um, I want to introduce you to Natalie and Dietzle, who are here with me for the rest of the show. Um, today's episode is going to be a little bit more different than usual. Uh, we will start with a mixtape created by Mary Ponomareva and Liminal Vision, uh, followed by Natalie Hartjes. Her fa- she will be sharing her favorite podcast with us. And uh, we will end with a um, Story of the Universe special, where Dietzle will connect her upbringing in Turkey with Mama's very own little history. So that's very exciting. Um, unfortunately, Mary couldn't be there today, uh, but she left us a message. So I will be reading it to you, and then we'll start this episode by the mixtape. Um, so I'm just going to read her message. This mixtape is presented by you by Zero Admissions by 2099. It's curated and produced by Mary Ponomareva and Liminal Vision. Um, they said to us, they are very thrilled to take you on a journey through the show in an audio format featuring artistic contributions and conversations that took place during the past months in and beyond Showroom Mama in Rotterdam. Zero Admissions by 2099 is an immersive multi-sensory exhibition exploring the entanglements between technology, uh, ideology, and popular culture. Um, You can check This Is Mama Pintanel for more information. And they say hop onto the microcosm. Uh, Before we're going to start with this mixtape, we actually had a really almost weird experience with this exhibition because we can open now we can open our doors we can visit museums again finally but it's very ironic and very bittersweet because we're closed zero admissions is done for well not done for but done for in showroom mama i guess still virtual yeah <laughs> it's still on don't for yeah. sounds for you and we still have our memories and i want to ask either natalie and Dicha, i'm gonna ask you both how does it feel looking back to a show that we never had experienced before like this closed with our doors closed well i'm thankful for the few moments that we had like a one-on-one or with professionals who really asked to to come by and for a a public space like ours who really tried to kind of like keep a low threshold and like um we never claim entrance for seeing an exhibition maybe for some events like uh, incidentally it's like feels very paradoxical to say like professionals only i don't know it's a kind of like exclusivism which uh, doesn't really suit us but it was very nice to at least like you know welcome a few people in there um i also took on a number of the hosts uh, meetings myself and kind of like got into the role of the terror management agent, which was a lot of fun. Um, And then what you were just addressing, I remember actually like in terms of timeline, the show would have originally lasted until mid-May and then late April we got this news like, we're probably going to be able to open up again on the 26th of May and that led us to just kind of like, okay, can we prolong it still a little bit longer without... um, creating too much of a car crash in the rest of our calendar for this year. So then we decided to keep it on until the 30th of May. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that was like (laughs) the last bit of space we had left to reorganize our calendar. And it was kind of, yeah, the most dramatic decision that 
we, we needed to stick to our guns with this one. Yeah, because you want to, you want to be like, oh, we're just doing yeah. another week, but it's not that easy. No, um, but I've been kind of like excited also about the online exhibition, and at least like it offered like I have in the signature in my email this like s semi dramatic message whilst we're waiting for the future, <laughs> and it just like <laughs> felt quite cathartic to be able to like mm -hmm. add that to my signature for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, closing <laughs> these whole 15 months or so. Yeah. Um, but I think we also got really creative by yeah. making online content. I think Ditchler can say a yeah, little bit more. Yeah, I was more. actually point, uh, I was going to point out that case. I'm actually very amazed by how my colleagues were able to produce new things dealing with this very weird situation. Because I actually um, ended up practicing and experiencing the exhibition more than once. And it was really nice. And I think... We were a bit lucky that the entire theme actually matched with the realm we had to be on. So I think this program was very um, eligible to be put online and experienced online in a way. But of course, I'm missing this um, paradigm that I got used to, that yeah. I should be there, present at the place and time. So I'm just very amazed and grateful all the colleagues who have put a lot of effort in this and who were still able to keep it up, although the situation was not very... Um, uh, it was unique. Encouraging. <laughs> it definitely was unique, yeah. but very well done, yeah. and I'm proud of everyone. Yeah, it was really amazing to get to experience uh, yeah, an exhibition like this, yeah. I think. Um, with that being, oh no, Natalie well, wants well, to no, say I something. I was just <laughs> thinking about that. Also, like just having this link to this, like virtual space, which is a kind of dystopian translation of the showroom, and us feeling quite dystopian all the time. But just having that link also allowed me to share it with people who I don't think, you know, would frequent the showroom normally. Uh, for instance, in my neighborhood where I always walk the dog, a lady who works at one of those bars and. Everybody calls her Tante Cookie because <laughs> she gives cookies to all the dogs. <laughs> and we've been seeing a lot of each other recently. <laughs> so I was like, oh, you're in art. And she was kind of like in to be, you know, um, um, uh, she did. Oh God, I forgot this artist's name who makes this kind of like shock art. I don't know. Okay. Here goes yeah. my oak. <laughs> anyway, she was very excited. And that, w like, sh she wouldn't necessarily be close by. Also, the proximity of the South, and it feels yeah. like. So that was really cool. Yeah, in a way, it brings, still brings people together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have but nice things to think about as well. Definitely. <laughs> also, this sort of, like, I was at this point that I'm not expecting anything anymore. I'll just, like, let it go, let it happen mm -hmm. in any aspect in life. So... It was also, how do you call it, like it gave me some sort of joy to see that there are people around me whom I call friends or colleagues who are able to put, do something. And then you get surprised by every little bit of uh, positive news, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The bar was too low at that point. Yeah. And then like any good news were like, wow, great. <laughs> Let's enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I, I recognize myself and that kind of attitude as well, but I'm finding it difficult now. Everything is starting to back up to stay in that kind of whatever happens, happens um, attitude. So, yeah, I can relate, but I'm also scared that as soon as everything is opening up again, we're going to go back to like, okay, producing and whatever happens doesn't happen. We need to produce. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's kind of what I want to stay away from. 
um, but we'll figure it out, I think, along the way. And uh, yeah, with that being said, I think we're going to listen to the the mixtape provided by Liminal Vision and Mary. Congratulations. Your loyalty as a terror management agent has been remarked. You've been selected for the mission. The fate of the world lies in your hands. We expect your cooperation. As of tomorrow, 35 March 2098, you are charged to wander time and space in search of relics that will provide indispensable data to solve the pressing issues of our time. With the help of a giant wormhole, you are sent to explore three different dimensions. Collect the clues in the hope to achieve the goals for the Zero Emissions by 2099 program. Explore the future beyond the dystopian Utopia binary. Zero Emissions, one breath at a time. Lab Cafe.
Future and ICU.
AI Temple. Welcome to the liminal realm. jump from a skyscraper into a rat hole.
we are a group. In the same sense that a flock of birds is a group. How do you know we're a group? Because we're traveling in the same direction. At any given moment, more birds could join, leave, peel off into another direction entirely. Thank you.
drives people? Where do you get that trust?
What is here, what is lost, what remains? What do you hear, smell, touch? Vines are trained and coaxed onto superstructures, dividing, controlling our world. Never fully thriving, never dying off. Here is a desert for no one. You are being watched and are the watcher. What do you see? You are surrounded yet open, secluded yet exposed. Close your eyes. Breathe in. Breathe out. <sighs> Welcome to the liminal realm, a mental space which allows for holding multiple worlds at once, even if they contradict with each other. I stumbled here one day and keep on coming back. There's something soothing about this place that gives me the distance to see all of Rotterdam's microcosms interconnected. Look around you. What is here to stay? Which visions cast in concrete will remain? What will be replaced? What do you show and what do you cover up after trauma? Where do these choices lead us? Where are we going and who's coming along? It has never been about choosing one worldview. It is about each step of the way and the choices we make that will lead us to the place where we will feel at home. Okay, welcome back everyone. Uh, I want to thank Mary. Um, we all want to thank Mary, I think, for the beautiful exhibition that she left with us um, at MAMA. And um, I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the mixtape you just heard. And now we're going to come over to Natalie. She will be sharing her favorite podcast and tips um, with us today. So I would say, Natalie, how are you? Are you ready to share? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, I'm, for, I'm ready to share. And <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, a favorite, like it's 
never ending, right? There are many more yeah. ways coming. So I just brought two, or just wanted to like talk about two. Mm-hmm. One is very exciting um, because we are participating as mama as well. Ah, oh, so then I think I know. Yeah, so I wanted to pitch <laughs> it. And I also think it's a very important one. There's mm-hmm. a prologue out now, and the rest is still to come. It's a podcast called Werktitel, Working Title. And um, it's created by Zoe Dankert, Dankert and Alix de Masiak. And mm-hmm. it's uh, both podcasts in Br- I'm, I've brought along are in Dutch. Um, but this one really deals with like the working conditions in the art world. But I've listened to the prologue and it's also very well put together. It's really kind of, it's serious content, but also it's very kind of like musically and um, uh, an auditory experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's to appear every three weeks, I think. And it's an amazing project. It's kind of like a marathon of interviews, which... Uh, will take are taking place now until October of this year, oh, okay. um, and uh, these the makers Zoe and Alex they're speaking to about 150 people working in the visual arts field, uh-huh. um, discussing all kinds of things which come up. It's like you know the precarity of working uh, in the art field, what kind of arrangements there are in, in different uh, job positions, but also um, matters of you know. I think uh, the informality, uh, mm-hmm. but also its pros and cons. How do we deal with fair practice and fair pay? And I think especially for young people, I mean, I think it's interesting for everybody, but I think especially for young people, if you're just starting to work in the field, I think it's going to help you navigate a lot. Yeah. So Is I it just really want to recommend it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the same subject and then different... Uh, creatives talking about the same so you have all kinds of different angles that people all kinds of different angles Mm -hmm. Um, 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 Kim Nadine and I were interviewed for it from Mama but I've also I've heard already like quite a number of (laughs) friends and colleagues oh cool yeah I was like oh hey you're participating too Um, and the angle is quite personal so it's like really through everybody's personal lens and their experiences uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, building or struggling and working through their career. <laughs> and um, of course, we we just got interviewed last week, so it's yet to wait in which episode. Uh, <laughs> Somewhere in the and, future. And, and we probably have forgotten by then what we said exactly. <laughs> There's going to be a, um, a, a Rotterdam themed yeah. one oh, cool. specifically. So and that's, that's where Mama is. In the Rotterdam one. Oh, Not sure. Okay. <laughs> so they're really like building it up as this like tapestry. Like a, it's almost like a patchwork mm-hmm. uh, blanket. Cool. And yeah, uh, little fragments and phrases. So I'm, I think it's, man, that must be like an ordeal as well to produce it. Yeah. In Dutch you would say ho- host, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. It's cool. And where can we find it? Werktitel.org, mm-hmm. I think. But just Google Werktitel po- yeah. podcast. Yeah. You'll find oh, it. Oh, that's cool. I'm yeah. excited. I kept yeah. looking in the agenda and I always saw Werktitel. <laughs> what does it mean? Yeah, I was like, what's what that? What does it mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's also, I think, um, what's nice about it is that uh, it seems to be maybe like boring, uh, 
quite hands-on like information but it's so but it takes a personal lens and i think yeah. you're really gonna be taken along into many different experiences yeah yeah i think yeah usually like finance and stuff's very dry but when you mix it with like your own perspectives it's and it's also about like how do you pay right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the failures yeah. of it like i forgot yeah. to <laughs> then it's cool yeah yeah yeah. Which boss treated you well? Like, <laughs> how <laughs> does your gossip. background play into it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that always makes something really dry, make very personal, very relatable. Yeah. So it's really, yeah, it's important to have those conversations as well. I also feel we're at this point, you know, that we're like really, I mean, people have always talked about working conditions, but I think there's so many going on which all have to deal with it at the same time. Um just like untangling how certain issues around unsafe working spaces and what unsafe may mean on a social level, but also yeah. just like literally physical. I, in one of the fragments of the prologue, somebody uh, reports on um, an, an accident. Mm-hmm. What we're, and this is something I think what, what happens quite a lot in the art because you just you know continue on asking friends to help you out with things and you're not necessarily like... Yeah skilled in certain areas which really have to do with physical danger <laughs> as well so i i'm i'm looking forward to following yeah. that um no i can imagine if someone coming here for the first time with no <laughs> connections whatsoever i think listening to podcasts like this it's like oh okay yeah it's a nice step especially now in this pandemic it's really hard to connect also with people so yeah. if you experience something it's hard to connect with other people if you're new here because rotterdam is such a bubble yeah and once you're in there it's fine but when you're starting to get to know rotterdam and you have something like werktitel to get familiar with what's going on i think that's really good but also i think just to kind of like point at or maybe to um tip our friends who are not involved in the art world Mm -hmm. would also because i think we've all had these conversations like i don't really understand what you do or that people (laughs) are just kind of like make assumptions about how your work yeah. week looks like and that is yeah yeah that's funny it's yeah. also yeah i think explaining the cultural sector in rotterdam especially to other people who are not in there it's really hard i think i don't i try and explain it sometimes for my friends who are like in finance or anything <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a different world like rotterdam is such a different kind of bubble well and even just the art world in general beyond rotterdam it's like you know <laughs> we we are like the work we do is meant for others people leisure time yeah so it's like i've had these like recurring conversations with friends but are you working on the weekend (laughs) it's like yeah because then you have time to come yeah 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 Yeah, it's a weird weird bubble i'm curious to the your next podcast as well that you want well this is um, um 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 it's 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 like a show online actually oh cool um it's um it it's the uh, tijd zal ons leren it's a production by romana vrede and ocean and mm-hmm. um what i really liked about how uh they talk about it is they call it an oorstelling instead of a voorstelling mm-hmm. which that's cool i don't know how <laughs> yeah. to translate that yeah yeah your play sounds kind of weird an earplay <laughs> yeah um no, I've, uh, the first episodes have been starting to come out from March, and I had heard of it before, but I've just only recently checked into it. And it's um, now a podcast, 
but the intention is that it will become also an animation film and that there will also be a theater play and basically it's um, the team behind it uh, handed by Romane Frede have been like researching to find all the lost heroes um, oh. uh, as like the lost heroes those who are not as consolidated in history after the uh, transatlantic slave trade mm-hmm. um, and I was listening to it I was curious and I was listening to the prologue and there's a long conversation between her and Ocean uh, this uh, performer which uh, she's collaborated mm. on and I w- would actually want to tip everybody to skip that but just <laughs> immediately jump into episode one mm-hmm. um, because you start on this conversation podcast and you think oh this is how it's going to continue but it's actually really like a play and it's so well done with um, sound effects and shifts in mood and it kind of just creates this whole world and yeah. maybe I can um, uh, play a little fragment yeah Yes, please. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm not playing anything from the beginning. I'm playing a fragment which I was really, like, impressed by. Mm -hmm. And I'll just play a little bit. Let's see. Does it work? Scrolling from my Spotify. <laughs> Between all the podcasts yeah. you already have. <laughs> Let's see. Am I disconnected? I'm gonna gonna ask you one. It says Spotify probeert af te spelen. Spotify. No, I think it's more my phone. Who's oh. Maybe, okay, I'll imp. Sorry? I can help you at this point. Uh, no, I think I'm just going to be really selfish and okay. share, my <laughs> <laughs> share my own Spotify. Um, uh, Spotify? Podcast. Okay. Recommendation. <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> um, well, I found a podcast, which is really, um, I love, <laughs> I which is a pretty yeah. big one. Um, it's with um, Pepijn Lane. Maybe in the meantime, Leech, look and look up the podcast. Yeah. Natalie means. And then I'll brag about my own favorite podcast, which is from Pepijn Lane. Uh, and he has a podcast about, uh, it's called Father. Uh, it's a Dutch podcast. And he is just in conversation with all kinds of dads in the creative industry. So some of them are really, really fun. Like all of them are funny. You have Yadino, Jan Dino Asperat. And you have Shaq as well. I laughed so hard about the one with Shaq. When you see the clip, I think, went viral as well. Where he just says, <laughs> like, his, when his daughter is going out, he just gets GPS. Which I find so relatable. Um, and I think it's really uh, it's also something new I didn't find out because mothers connect with motherhood I think and sometimes I feel like the experience memories that fathers have are being a little bit overlooked Um, so yeah I think it's really nice to have like even listening as like a future mom hopefully uh, listening to all the experience that dads have um, is really funny Especially because we're going to get up and personal now. <laughs> like My dad is my favorite best friend. And when I listen to the podcast, um, I'm always wondering, like, did my dad come 
have these things <laughs> like how was his first time when his little daughter is like going out um how would it be for him but i think we fixed it i think so yes okay let's try so. it yeah i have other anecdotes from my dad as well so go ahead <laughs> Van Senegambia tot aan Saint-Dominique tot aan Jamaica tot in Haiti, Haiti kwam. De revolutie begint met een ceremonie geleid door Cecile Fatiman en Dutty Boekman. En herinner dat voodoo komt van het woord voedoen. Ontsprongen uit Benin. Ontsprongen van de stammen Aya, Ewe, Von, Dahomey, het land van de slang. Aisha Winti, Moeder Aarde, Snikje Winti, Wakaiman. Dat die boekman was bereid, Cecile Fatiman was bereid. Er Twee mensen offeren zich op, twee mannen, het zwarte varken en het bloed van twee andere dieren. Het bloed van twee mannen, het varken en twee andere dieren wordt opgevangen, wordt bij elkaar gevangen. Twee mensen offeren zich op, twee mannen, het zwarte varken en het bloed van twee andere dieren. Het bloed van twee mannen, het varken en twee andere yeah. dieren wordt opgevangen. I think that just kind of like gives a good idea yeah. of like really, you know, creating this atmosphere and bringing you along. And um, also, which was not part of this fragment, but people will need to listen to it <laughs> for themselves. Uh, this is like the preparation of the uh, resistance. And after th this is first like a blood ritual and they're preparing to kind of like attack the white people. And also for me as a white person, it's like it's really... Um, It, it's done without compromise, like really taking the perspective of the enslaved and what they need to go through and to prepare, which is, I think, very courageous because it is quite, like it feels, mm -hmm. to me, it felt quite confrontational, but also like in the beauty of the, the resistance, um, very capturing. And it's a perspective which isn't told a lot. No. So I'm like, yeah, okay, come on, like, yeah go Especially find that confrontation yeah. you know it's also i think good um to have to like live through that experience like really in the part following it's yeah. like how uh, the white people of the um were victimized and it's, it's done quite rough mm -hmm. and i think it's a good <laughs> switch <laughs> of perspectives to yeah uh, yeah live through that experience through a, a play an earplay yeah. like this yeah no, I c now I, i had a hard time like actually connecting the two or because it is a such a important subject to talk about um but when i heard the little fragments like okay i get it's coming together yeah. as well and it's not a play as in it's entertainment or well, it is entertainment but it's not 
let's go to the theater and turn off our brains. It's yeah. really a good, um, yeah, it transforms you. It, it really puts you in that place. And yeah. it's, um, I've now listened to the first three episodes of the first season. And I think they're planning to do like se seven seasons oh, of cool. four episodes. So there's a wow. much more to come. It's like really, mm -hmm. everybody should get hooked. Is every episode different or is it uh, a series? Like they're following up from each other? Um, they're like, well, um, like... Somewhat between one or three different heroes, which you know there are ah, also yes. which get fo you know, focused on with each episode. But there are themes which uh, recur yeah. or which tap into each other. So it's really worthwhile, like starting from one and just like being taken along this journey. But potentially you could listen to a separate episode. But yeah. I think it builds up, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's. A lot of not like it's really research based, but it's really theatrical. So I think it's um, just worth beginning with the beginning because you're going to build up what you know and also how you yeah. feel in mm -hmm. the process. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's clear. We'll start from the beginning. We'll start from <laughs> the beginning. Yeah. That's good. Um, thank you. Mm. for sharing this uh, this with us two very different well three with mine yeah. <laughs> pitched in there <laughs> very different podcast so I hope you guys are listening uh, to it this one uh, you can find on Spotify then right? yeah you can yeah. find on Spotify okay um, before we we'll go over to Ditchless part um, we already heard a little bit or I did in the beginning of the mixtape you actually have something very unique in common <laughs> <laughs> not true Which Natalie, you should explain that. <laughs> okay, well, um, I think the first conversation I had with Dietzle, we immediately like um, clicked, clicked <laughs> and locked in around uh, our, 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 our love for Turkish pop music. Yes. With like the thing which differs is that Dietzle actually knows what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> But I actually get happy knowing that someone else from a different cultural background appreciates it as much as I do, so... I don't know, I think I have this weird pride that I wasn't aware of, but <laughs> it has nothing to do with, um, I don't know, the nation, I don't know, some sort of association, but it's more like appreciating the culture itself. Yeah. Well, it, for me, it really like resonates with the summer, and yeah, that might okay. be because my balcony <laughs> doors are open. I live in an area where a lot of people with a Turkish uh, background live, so it's like also just the sound of my neighborhood. And I also think that, especially like the pop vibe of Turkish pop, it is extremely summery. Like, and true. Do, do, don't you think? I it's like totally think so. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I listen to it more often, like in the in in the summer than in the winter, because okay. of the vibe. It's just kind of like, okay, the sun is out; it's getting warm. I want <laughs> to listen to that. So, I still have to get back into the groove of like my Turkish 2021 because it's. You know, just summer for 10 days now or something. <laughs> True. So. It's hard to get used yeah. to it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, I mean, this, this is also so much valuable to me as well because experiencing this culture, this very specific culture from this perspective is also very valuable for me because you're experiencing a different part of the culture. As an, I'm an immigrant here, it's been two and a half years since I moved, and the context you're talking about is actually something that welcomes me in the city maybe so it's really valuable and there's a lot more to discover from my side as well although I consider myself quite into it 
Yeah. So like these personal experiences make me even more excited mm. and feel integrated and sharing these things. Well, maybe I could ask you some questions like specifically about like, one uh, uh, pop artist, Mabel Matisse. Oh, yeah. It's... Um, because there's something universal, but you have to tell me more because I'm not <laughs> sure. I tried to look up more information. I understood that he's also a, a LGBT activist. Yeah. 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 And there's something about the quality of his music and his music videos as well that he kind of like just plays on this, you know, colorful, um, at the same time packaging a song which you feel have like... Uh, has a, a double layer in exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. And then using, because I do like try to find lyrics in Google Translate it and not <laughs> necessarily know what's up, you yeah. know, but it's kind of hidden, you know. Definitely, it's, definitely. It's a very kind of subversive, campy definitely. kind of strategy, it's, which it's really appeals. It's almost poetic. Cause, yeah. um, I think like um, I do not follow him so closely, but I know that he's doing a groundbreaking music and not only music, but also the visual culture he's contributing to is quite valuable because also um, there's so much to do with his identity and how he's bravely portraying it in a culture that is not so welcoming towards the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and it, it's very progressive, but at the same time, it's this kind of like celebration of Definitely. like traditional symbols and exactly. aesthetics. And it's so beautiful. Especially it's gorgeous. recently, he released a song called Toy. And in the video, you see that like um, it takes place in almost a legendary environment where you see many traditional elements being celebrated. But the music has very um, techno um, tunes, but the lyrics are very traditionally built as well mm -hmm. and very poetic. So you do not necessarily hear a storyline, but it's all about, um, how do you call it? Like... Um, phenomenons or symbolism yeah and you actually feel intense because of course you cannot think of it um different than the social environment that we're surrounded with so it makes you proud and also overwhelmed knowing that this takes so much courage to yeah make this music and make this video because often he ha has to face a lot of um, criticism and harshness from the different parts of uh, the public. Yeah. So it must be very heavy and I actually appreciate that a lot because um, I actually dug into it much later than I expected and I'm still again not following closely but it is so much different than any other thing you would hear in Turkish pop. So he totally deserves thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember like looking up one of the lyrics and like go doing it through the Google Translate, and then just finding that it was this just poetic lyrics saying like, yeah. "Why have you left me? Why can't you not embrace me?" And of course, it can yeah. read like on these two layers. Yeah. Like it could be just one on one in lover, uh, you know, yeah. towards another lover, but you could kind of feel the intensity of that. It's also addressing his motherland. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. They call him uh, the modern Rumi in a way. Because um, there is, again, so much um, references to Mevlana Jalalitu Rumi in a way, I think. That's why so many layers. It can be personal love. It can be the love to, um, towards a creator phenomenon. It can be a questioning session towards the society that he has to live in. So he can understand those lyrics from different perspectives. And it always means something else.
So what's your current favorite? <laughs> from what Mobile Matisse? Oh, or from, from oh. the scene? Like okay, what? okay. Well, I mean, I think I'll come up with a very um, safe choice after all these um, <laughs> brave talks. I mean, the current one is, like the newest one is uh, Martelar by Edis. Edis is a very rising star of Turkish pop at the moment. And I'm not necessarily a huge fan, but this last song, just got me into summer that I haven't lived for the past one and a half years. So I didn't like the video that much. It's very cliche. But the music, especially thanks to the producer Ozan Cholakolo, it's very upbringing and layered. Cool. I think from someone just listening <laughs> who has not <laughs> oh. know anything about Turkish pop, you guys really reeled me into it. Okay, so okay. I, I can play a bit <laughs> of my way home. <laughs> Martelar then. Yeah, I'm curious. Okay, just a slight um, fragment from it. <laughs> Yeah, so this was a fragment from I the song. I love that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I get the summer vibes now. Yeah, exactly. Now I understand. <laughs> I think um, it's a safe but good uh, combination of uh, Latin tunes together yeah. with Turkish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. No, it was really cool. Um, I think with that, I want to thank you for sharing and introducing me, actually, to <laughs> pop, Turkish pop, which is really cool. I want to thank Natalie for sharing uh, your podcast and tips. And I think our last segment is up to Dicle now. Yeah, exactly. And I want to start with a song from uh, 97. Um, so, okay, let, let me explain what I'm going to do first. So, um, almost two years ago, one and a half years ago, when I started at Team Mama, I was asked to dig into the digital archive of Mama in order to have it published on This Is Mama Pantanel, Mama's website. So I had to deal with a lot of Word documents that were not legible due to the old software, um, the early examples of digital photography, and so many hard-printed um, copies of existence. And that actually, um, I realized a while after that, it actually got me quite nostalgic um, towards mama, Mama's past, which I've not experienced, but also to my childhood in a way. So it created a unique uh, feeling, and I actually mentioned this to my colleagues, and they were like, oh, that's special, tell us more. Mm -hmm. And then it just uh, sounded nice that if I actually made a um, piece about Mama's own past together with my <coughs> past, and combining it with the music that reminds me of. Um, so yeah, I'll try to explain what happened um, in the past almost 25 years of MoMA, and I'll play some 
Turkish music after. Yeah. And we're starting with um, a song from 97, which is, year, which is the year that Mama was born, um, from Tarkan. And you might have heard of Tarkan. He's the Turkish pop star, famous with the song Kiss Kiss, um, that also came out in 97. But ah. in the same album, there was this song that actually didn't make that famous. But I think it's quite a um, good power pop hit. And you don't hear much that uh, in Turkey. So we'll start with that.
yeah, so this was it. This was a song from 97, um, the year that Mama was founded. That means that Mama will turn 25 next year. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be a platform that functions as a bridge between high-end street art back then. And um, let me mention some names. I mean, also, I'm not very confident to give everyone the credit because I'm not that uh, knowledgeable, of course. But please excuse me for not giving the credit to everyone. Uh, but Mama was founded under the leadership of pioneer uh, Boris van Berkum. And a little later, Jeroen uh, Everard. And Mama was the first arts, in the arts institution in the, ne- in the Netherlands to offer street art in the 90s, originating from the graffiti and skateboard scene, which until then had nowhere to display their often groundbreaking ideas and designs to show. And um, together with this, Mama arose without a plan, without a policy, and within a few years, that weird little gal- gallery on Witte de Witstraat had become a phenomenon that the city of Rotterdam could no longer ignore. Mm-hmm. By time, MAMA has become a platform for visual culture where public participation and engagement, volunteerism, youth, talent development, urban culture, and sense of community comprise the core values. Can you agree with that, Sherry? I do, and it <laughs> makes me so proud to be like, yeah, I'm part of MAMA now. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool to hear, and we're 25 years next year. Exactly, so, so I hope uh, we're all planning a good thing. We should, yeah. <laughs> we definitely should. Because also... um. Back in 2012, Mama has published uh, Sweet 16, 16, and it was um, basically this guide, this um, almanac of all the events um, that took place at Mama since the beginning. And actually, it was my biggest guide, almost Bible, when I was uh, studying, like getting <laughs> ready for this piece. Yeah. So I hope um, such an impactful uh, outcome we create next year as well. Yeah, I'm really curious. We Me do too. have the, the I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but we do have the Mama documentary coming up. Oh yeah, true. So we should be having a good good one. Good yeah. look back to that as well. Exactly. So what I'm gonna try to do in this limited time, which is not enough to tell um, enough about Mama, um, I'll give insight about Mama's past programs, what they stood out for and what it resonates for me in terms of the setting I have experienced back then. And you'll hear a pop song I associate uh, to this nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and okay, the general out- outlook about Mama. Um, in Mama's shows, starting from the beginning, you immediately see the themes you expect to belong to the street or everyday life, not necessarily practiced and pre- presented within the creative cluster back then. And um, again, Mama has started off as a bridge between high and street art. So I think that created a big um, democratization of arts and culture in the society, which now we um, enjoy it as a thing that, like, we take it for granted, you know? For sure. Um, Like, my first examples would be that uh, you see it in the photos uh, in 97 after the first tryout. That was the first program that was put by Mama. And uh, keine angst, uh, gratis haarschint. Mama turned into an arcade for a month um, for the program Game Over. So I actually saw these pictures both digitally and in the book that there were so many game computers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I want to be there. Yeah. And yeah, apparently the visitors were able to play um, around 200 games with those computers. And uh, they, they called it Mama Arcade. <laughs> I love oh, the name of that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> 
So um, it's definitely a good example of public engagement. I mean, I assume that you wouldn't see it that much at an arts in institution, so to say, that you would just walk in and let me play some games. Yeah. So it's really fun. <laughs> and I think it really um, shows where Mama stands, you know. And later on, in 98, um, there was a program called Holland International, and it was formed as a think tank consisting of collectives, and they exhibited um, mixed media from street culture and advertisement. It actually resembles a lot with what we commodify as nostalgia these days. It falls onto the unofficial 20-year-long time span of fashion, a style repeating or regenerating itself very well. You know, like... Cool. Um, yeah. Because I think we kind of... All dressed like we're from early 2000s. Um, Britney Spears has become a fashion icon again for us. <laughs> you can wear jeans on jeans, like double jeans. I don't know. You can have Justin Timberlake hair again. Yeah, yeah so it's always coming back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that time span is more or less 20 years. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I studied, um, <laughs> I did like a styling mm -hmm. uh, course and we added about that as well. It's like yeah. always like the 15, 20 mark yeah. um, where you have like the early adapters and the trendsetters yeah. who are yeah, just true. like <laughs> looking back 20 years ago. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so also like when I was digging into this Holland International program, I've seen so many good looking photography because they made this set and then, I don't know, people were dressed like... Uh, those photos belong to an advertisement more than <laughs> an exhibition, yeah. and that was the entire point. So, um, also recently during the garage sale, I ran into this hard copy, well kept um, analog photography mm -hmm. of that uh, exhibition, and it just looked so nice. And I realized once again that this is what we're trying to reproduce these days. Yeah. And um, yeah, it fascinated me in a way. And um, the windows of the showroom, I want to talk about it. I mean, I'm sure our audience already knows about um, our showroom. It's on Vita de Vistrat. And um, you can almost describe it as walls made of glass. You can see through almost everything that has been being exhibited. Um, and you can have so many ideas about what's going on only by looking from outside. So mm -hmm. I think that's also a statement. Um, and this space-related phenomenon did not only remain visual, but MAMA also has produced programs that were made possible only by public engagement. So when we go back to 99, we see the program called Ses Clay D Day. Um, a ton, like literally a ton, thousand kilograms of children's clay were made available for the visitors. So you basically walk in, make something, and there's a huge universe of Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you could take it Clay. with you, but people were crea creating yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. And then like, you just put it in that universe, like in that bigger <laughs> landscape, and then it immediately becomes an exhibition. So I think this is a good example of the public engagement as well. Yeah. And um, now I'm like uh, combining or comparing it with what I would see in Turkey. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, I'm not an um, art pioneer I'm not the person who knows every, everything of course and also back then I was a child so <laughs> this is a very personal perspective yeah. I gotta say but I think so many people would agree with me that back then and still unfortunately now arts and culture were always uh, perceived as something that belongs to the rich or the abled you know yeah so okay. it's a very um 
closed community and you often see in Turkish sitcoms that um, a normal, our normal person uh, becomes ridiculed um, at an exhibition or a museum and we laugh at it because it's an, an, an area that you wouldn't actually see yourself engaging in because mm -hmm. it belongs to the higher society, ah. sort of. So, I mean, of course, uh, this understanding is being changed because now we're in 2021. But of course, there's a lot to do with um, socioeconomic situation, politics, and so many other things, and also like the culture itself, the traditional background. Therefore, um, it's still a bit different. I, I do not necessarily see many um, public engaging arts organizations in Turkey still today. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why this is a very special program that also involved children and any person in the public to be uh, to activate themselves as art producers. And um, regarding this very opinion of mine, <laughs> uh, my next song is going to be a song from 98. And um, there is a singer called Yonca Evcimik, and I actually really like her. Um, she is a very mainstream singer. She doesn't uh, produce music that much anymore. But she was one of those first people who combined um, dance with pop music. So actually, she's counted as the creator of Turkish pop music in a way. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah because cool. so much like, let's dance, let's make <laughs> uh, upbeat music. So, uh, But at the same time, it's very, very mainstream. So it's for us, the public. But I think in 98, she made this song that had mainstream lyrics about love, but the um, backing track is a bit techno. Mm. So this song would actually pass at a um, exhibition opening. Like you would play this and you would have your drinks. <laughs> so that's how I associate it. Like, um, I don't know, the higher society being a bit um, looking down, mm -hmm. but still appreciating this kind of thing. So... And I want to play this um, from my cassette player. Yes. Also, I need to note that um, in Turkey, we were still using cassettes as our main um, music resource until early 2000s. Oh, wow. Yeah. And wow. Um, that's why I have my quite nice um, cassette collection still now, because <laughs> those mostly remain from my childhood. And um, CDs became available and accessible much later. Um, I was very surprised that it was not the same here when I got here. So, so yeah. for right now in Turkey, you play... Well, Spotify. Spotify, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. I mean, now I think we're on the same uh, level because also the communications are, you know, quite advanced. Yeah. But back then, like, um, I know that when CDs were the norm here, mm -hmm. we were still playing cassettes and yeah, trying to... Yeah, because you made like a huge jump from yeah, exactly. <laughs> going and to cassettes for so long to Spotify. Yeah, and um, I had my first um, portable CD player in the year 2004, which was still early for many kids. I mm -hmm. It actually made me feel special in a way because, <laughs> I mean, you know, as a kid, you care about these kind of things. That's why. But yeah, let's see. Um, Let's see how this is gonna sound. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So this I was it. it. <laughs> cool. When I you really said the um, when you said like a futuristic or not a futuristic, but like a high class opening. Yeah. I was immediately thinking like such a futuristic Hunger Games kind of like party. <laughs> it was really cool. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Well, actually, I more pictured like um, a summer evening, as Natalie said. Yeah. Um, I don't know. People were like there for for some gezelligheid, <laughs> as you would say in Dutch, and then this is like. Huh, this actually sounds cool. Wait, wait, wait. Is this Yonje Jimmy? No, this is really cool. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing I expect. But yeah, I mean, this was um, what I was trying to say. And I also want to, like speaking of public realm and public engagement, I also want to um, tr- make a transition to the sense of censorship and how these things differ mm-hmm. in these two different societies. Because I think, again, public... Um, realm was perceived this way engagement was perceived this way and also a sense of censorship because um i did not see that much of a censorship here in the past of mama and i appreciate it because for instance i want to tell you about um royal ogis in 2004 Uh, it's the program in which they addressed mama as a prostitution house basically Mm -hmm. and Now I'm thinking, I was a teenager in Turkey back in 2004, and if someone ever produced an exhibition like this, that would be closed immediately, that would be in the news for a couple of days, that would be at the surmanche uh, of the newspapers and everything. Um, because Turkey is this setting where people feared religion becoming a manipulative tool in state affairs due to the newly elected, newly elected conservative government back mm-hmm. then in 2004. Um, so, but in contrast, 2004 is also the year when the negotiations with the European Union led Turkey to prepare for a Europeanization process with high hopes. So, okay, we have a new, slightly more um, conservative government. At the same time, EU is approaching us positively saying that uh, you're fulfilling the criteria. So let's go to the next step. So it's quite an exciting year for Turkey. I remember wow. that. It was also, I mean, this is irrelevant, but I just want to mention it. It was also the year, the only year that Eurovision was hosted in Istanbul. <laughs> so it was a, it was a good year. <laughs> um, knowing the society and art practices together with such a social political climate, I cannot imagine seeing such an exhibition being held in the country, basically. Uh, it is surreal and also... Do not forget that again, MAMA is the bridging organization where the public engagement is strong. And this is visible from the uh, windows to one of the most crowded streets of the city, Vitevitsrat. So to me, mm-hmm. it's yeah. wow, it blows my mind that <laughs> that can happen in 2004 here. And it's a very quality program. And that could not have happened in 2004 yeah. in Turkey. So um, this connection makes me think of a song called... Um, Kokoreç, and it came out in 2001, actually, even earlier than these negotiations. Um, Kokoreç is this name of a street food that is consumed a lot in Turkey, especially after you get quite drunk at night. Uh. You need something to calm mm-hmm. down your stomach, you know. And then you go to a street stall ordering Kokoreç, and it's made of, um, this might sound a bit triggering for um, people with certain diets, but it's um, grilled intestines. <laughs> 
okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for that. Um, and it's a thing, it's a tradition. But in this song, Kokorech, um, there's this uh, utopia is portrayed. We're in now, um, year 2009, and Turkey has finally become an EU state, which has never happened. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And the beloved street food Kokorech is nowhere to be found due to the EU regulations on food. Because basically, mm-hmm. grilled intestines yeah. on the street is far beyond um, what we had to adapt back then in order to be considered by the European Union. So actually so many food um, have changed and the ingredients had to be changed because EU actually said that now you're supposed to do it if you want to be a member state. So that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, this singer called Mirkelam, who I love a lot also, (laughs) he made this great song. I love it with, um, I listen to it still with pleasure. And yeah, even in the video, it says that it's now the year 2009. Turkey is finally in the EU and there's no more Kokorec. (laughs) (laughs) And I will play that one now. Oh, wait. Well, I forgot to um, change my jack. So (laughs) let me blabber a bit more. No, I think when we talk about like food and stuff, we from Suriname have like something called Blutwurst, which is... Yeah, yeah, I know Blutwurst. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, have to. No. Yeah, <laughs> when I found it out, I was like, "Grandma, okay, it is." <laughs> exactly. So I think every culture has yeah, more or less um, edgy food. <laughs>
yeah, that was it. I like the ending. <laughs> Very unexpected. <laughs> exactly. So, back to the story. Mm-hmm. This song came out in 2001. And it was also a very important year for the world history as well, because it's when the um, World Trade Center attacks have happened. And after 2001, I realized that the political themes became more apparent in MAMA's programs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the arising conflict in the Middle East resonated as a public initiative not to remain silent in the artworks that were featured in MAMA. For instance, under construction that was produced in um, 2003, consisted of many stickers, stencils, and slogans with anti-war voice all around. And this is a milestone I think we all remember well, and folk found its voice in uh, the 2004 song of Morvetesi, Jambaz, where the band did not keep its mouth closed towards the hypocrisy of Turkish media. So I'm going to play this rock hit from 2004, and actually around that era, rock music became the prominent uh, popular music in Turkey. So yeah, here we go. Young, the that life, it's it, a sad 
So yeah, I think um <laughs> I think I'll also um slowly close my talk cuz also we're um reaching to the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we do. Yeah. Not quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, by this talk I'm connecting two microcosms that do not share anything in common except the timeline. In fact, I choose to be that connection. I choose to connect the past I experience in a different dimension to another past of which I'm witnessing the future version. But why? Because also like why? <laughs> I think it's because I want to exist together with this duality. Comparisons are not always healthy, but it can be survival to understand and adapt to your habitation, and this is exactly the tool that I'm using at the moment. So, my closing song is from 2005. Unfortunately, you cannot find the song online that much. I mean, it doesn't exist on Spotify, therefore I'll uh, play it from my CD player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called Kırmızı Bibaj and it's by Bandeniz who was really really famous back in 90s but somehow she doesn't do much I think anymore mm-hmm. but I love this song was so, it um, yeah. so but it was popular back then yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I mean this song is from 2005 mm-hmm. I think this is one of her most recent hits maybe she's still active maybe I'm just being ignorant but um <laughs> She was a very big deal back in the 90s. Okay, so, cool. by Bandenis. Bir biri 
With that song, I want to thank Dietzle for sharing her own little history and opinions with the history of Mama. <laughs> I thank you. For thank the you. <laughs> I want to thank Natalie, who was here, who shared her favorite podcast. And I want to thank Mary for curating such a beautiful exhibition. And I want to thank the listeners for still being here with us. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>